0: My girlfriend's grandfather used to be a detective, and he tells a pretty terrifying story. When he was still pretty young he got a call to an apartment building because a monster was trying to get into someone's apartment. The caller said that they had heard a gunshot, and then a while later something was pounding on their door. When they opened it a monster was standing there and tried to get into their apartment. They kicked it out, and slammed the door. The caller also said that they had heard more screams from down the hall so the monster may have been trying to get to other people. When my girlfriend's grandfather got to the building he found a man shambling around inside covered in blood. He got the guy turned around and realized that he had found his monster. The guy had attempted to commit suicide by putting a gun under his chin and firing upwards. However, he had screwed the angle up and blown off his jaw and part of his nose, but he was still alive in an extreme shock. He had been walking around the building knocking on doors, trying to get someone to help him, but his grisly visage had terrified everyone, so they kept slamming the door in his face. I hear the other guy on my beat get dispatched to a well-being check of an elderly lady. After a few minutes the guy asks for a supervisor. A few minutes later they dispatch me to the lady's house. I get there and the supervisor asks me to climb in through an unsecured window at the back of the house because I'm of smaller stature. I get to the window and tell it's to the bedroom. I can hear a loud television on in another room and I can tell it's Fox News. I yell out, police, does anyone need help? As I climb in through the window, I hear an old raspy voice call, here. I run out of the bedroom down the hall to to where I heard the voice call from. From the living room I see a lady laying face down in the dining room area. I call out for her, ma'am did you fall? Where are you hurt? I run to her and she is not moving, I touch her hand and it is ice cold. She's dead, been so for a few days. I unlock the door and let the supervisor and other officer in. I tell them I heard a voice and we need to check the whole house. No one else was in there, I know the TV was on but I could tell it was the news and heard the voice over it. My auntie was a police officer for something like 25 years. She saw a lot of really screwed up stuff, especially when she was stationed out in the country and got called to the farmer suicides, death by farm equipment is not pretty, but the creepiest was the thing that triggered her nervous breakdown. This happened about 10 years ago. A guy had walked into a busy restaurant in the CBD ranting and raving and threatening to set himself on fire. By the time she and the other cops sent out got there he'd already doused himself in petrol and was holding a lighter, threatening to spark it if the cops got close. The standoff lasted for a couple hours, just when they were going to get the jump on him he set himself alight. The fire extinguisher at the place was faulty so she pretty much had to watch the guy burn alive. As I mentioned earlier, this was the straw that broke the camel's back and she had a complete nervous breakdown, needed to live in inpatient for a while. She now calls this guy, the crispy critter and writes a lot of poetry about him. She's kind of vague, but the impression I get is she thinks his spirit got transferred into her somehow. Edit quite a few questions about this story. So I'll just address them here. This is the extent of the info I have about the incident. I was 14 at the time and although I knew she had a breakdown and bad stuff happened I didn't get this story until years later, most of it in bits and pieces over time. Not going to ask my auntie about it for obvious reasons and my folks have told me all they are willing to tell. Their info about it is limited too, for a number of reasons relating to retirement entitlements that they refuse to give, liability, etc. The police force are not forthcoming on details of exactly what happened. I know lawyers were involved at one point but it went nowhere. Although she still has problems my auntie is generally doing okay now, she has a cushy government job that she enjoys and pays well. The takeaway story from this is never ever ever become a police officer in Australia, if crap goes pear-shaped you will be messed over. We, my partner and I, get a radio call of a welfare check, to check on the welfare of a person. Ex-boyfriend called because he received texts from his ex stating that she wished it would not have ended and that she could no longer go on without him. We get to E place, knock, pound etc, no answer. We call, ex provided the number, and get an answer and a hang up, so we hear it from the outside window and know she is in there. We say we are going to break the door down if she doesn't answer. Hear some slurred mess of speech. Door unlocks but doesn't open. We open the door to find a young woman wet, naked, pale as hell and swaying in one spot, her hands are bleeding. Call a rescue ambulance and she is off to the hospital. Now to the creepy part, none of the lights would turn on, so we conduct a safety search and find candles lit in the bedroom and bathroom, on the walls were Bible scriptures written in her blood and a tub of brown water, the water was mixed with old blood. I don't know how she survived because that water was dark, She had been sitting in it for approximately three to four hours. I'm a special constable with the UK police. I volunteer, but have all the same powers and responsibilities. I started out in a small rural town, which is extremely stereotypical of a middle English community, not somewhere. You would ever think bad things would happen. This was one of my first major incidents. I usually do my shift on Friday nights after work, as statistically it is the busiest time for us. It was sometime in early March 2009 and I was paired with a regular officer and we were out in the response car driving around for the first few hours of the evening until we were scheduled to go to an operation later. Around 11pm a burglary and progress report came over the radio and we said we'd take it, as it was only a few miles from us blue lights and siren on we sped to incident as fast as we could. It was dark and the visibility was pretty crap, but we could still see enough to be driving safely. We decided to use a well-known shortcut to get to the other side of a village, avoiding a very annoying bridge-slash-bollard combo that would save a few minutes of our time. The road was next to a farm and was not very well maintained. At the best of times you could only really do 20 miles per hour down it without causing significant damage to your wheels and underside of your car, but it would still be quicker than the normal road. As we carried on down the track, it quickly became apparent that something wasn't right. There were fresh muddy tire tracks all over the road, and long scrapes in the tarmac, as if something metal was being pulled along the floor. At the time I didn't know why. But it soon became clear when we rounded the corner and saw what looked like the mangled remains of some kind of biomechanical cyborg. Blood, guts, glass, hair, metal. It was all over the road, in the hedges, in the trees. It was absolutely horrific. I had never seen death before in such a grotesque form. My partner slammed the brakes on and we spent a few seconds just absorbing what the hell we were looking at, before switching to rescue mode. We raced out of the car, leaving the headlights on to illuminate the scene. Steam was rising from the wreckage, a mixture of radiator coolant and body heat. There was so much blood, it was unreal. Too unreal. Our first priority was to look for survivors. The driver and passenger were obviously dead, I couldn't see into the back of the car as it was just a complete mess. Over the sound of our engine running I could hear what sounded like a baby making a very quiet moaning sound. Because our main source of light was from our car headlights we couldn't see the front of the wreck very well at all. After hearing the noise I ran back to get the mag light from the boot of the car so we could search the area. Some crash victims have been ejected up to 200 feet from the car. As we came around the front of the car we realized with horror what had actually happened, why there was so much blood and where the baby was. There was a cow, wedged between the car and the ground, completely disemboweled, intestines all over the grass, head snapped backwards, milk was flowing out, feces all over the place. And in the middle of its mother's mangled corpse was a calf, almost ready to be born. It was trapped inside still, and it was very badly injured but it was alive and mooing to us. Backup arrived not long after but there was not much that could be done. Soko turned up to cordon the road off and find out exactly what happened. We carried on our shift after that. A number of years ago we were called to a body dumped in the stairway of a public housing building. As we arrive we shove the floor mat into the door to prop it open, nice young guy gives a hand and we secure the scene. The deceased has multiple mutilations about his body, slashes, stabs and burns, even a bit of waffling, burn marks in a grid pattern, yet his clothes are bloodless. Medical examiner arrives. Body is completely drained. The corpse is fresh as no signs of decomposition have set in. The detectives arrive and the investigation begins. We remove the body and resume our duties. Month later an arrest is made. Remember that nice kid that helped us with the door? He was a friend of the victim. He and and a girl had been drinking with the victim. An argument started between them. So they beat the victim unconscious, tethered him to a chair and proceed to torture him for two days. After he died they drained him in the tub, changed his clothes, opened the apartment door and threw him down the stairs. In case you were wondering, there were 0911 calls for the period of time he was being tortured. Those apartments are very close together. I would imagine two days of torture would make a bit of noise. I've had a few creepy moments in my career. But one that has always stood out to me was a call I had when I worked midnight shift. It was around 2 AM in the dead of winter. Bone cold that night and got a call from dispatch that they had an open 911 call and could hear a woman moaning help me and then silence. My partner and I arrived at the apartment to find the door slightly cracked open and had a blood smear on it. The apartment was black inside and strangely quiet. We made entry. It was like something out of a horror movie. The first thing we both noticed was a large arterial spray on the wall that then smeared down to a hallway and disappeared toward the back of the apartment. As we made our way down the hall, blood was smeared down the wall to the bedroom. Blood covered the door handle. We opened the door and saw a lifeless body on a bed, covered in blood, the bed and body. Unbelievably creepy. It was dead silent still in the apartment. We checked the body and found a faint pulse. The woman was still alive. Turned out she was blind and had other health problems. She had a shunt in her arm, which she has managed to pull out, by mistake, we later found out, and she started bleeding out everywhere. For those curious, she lived. Though that was eight years ago, I still remember the creepy, quiet, and staleness of the apartment in the bitter cold. This was back in my first year on the job.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can
0: hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My partner was on meal break, so it left me on the post by myself for the next hour until he got back. I decided to walk down from the north of my post to the south, past a few abandoned lots. As I passed one of them, I thought I saw something at the end of the lot by the fence line. Lots of times people using or just being vagrants will be in these lots. I shined my flashlight on the area, but nothing was there. A trick of the low lighting in the area. No big deal. As I turned away, the fence on the far side of the lot rattled giving that distinctive chain sound. I stopped and looked back, already thinking of how ridiculous this feels, and put my light on there again. Standing there was a man. He didn't look homeless nor did he look like the kind of guy that hangs out in lots late at night. I asked him what he was doing. He simply stood there, not really looking at me but kind of above me. I asked again. No answer. I told him to come over here, as he shouldn't be in the lot. He just stood there. I decided to put it over the radio before approaching him. Post 4, Central, show me one male stopped at 30 Z Street, back lot. No further no emergency. So I walk into the lot, but have to hop a small fence to get to where he is standing. I figure this guy must be tweaking out or something, he looks like he has no idea where he is. I hop the fence and look back up, this mother f was gone. I took my eyes off of him for two seconds and he was gone. No sound from the far fence chain, nothing. I scan the entire lot wondering where this guy went, looked behind the only real cover, a dumpster and inside of it, he wasn't there. Central raised me a minute later and asked the status. 10 to 91, 98, non-crime corrected, resuming patrol. To this day I think I saw a ghost, as crazy as that sounds. I've never told anyone about what happened that night. Crazy, crazy stuff. I know there is a chance that maybe he just hopped the fence without me hearing it and took off, but in the amount of time it took me to hop a four feet fence, Highly unlikely. It was a normal stop on the highway. The car was an old beat-up red Toyota. I switch the lights and the car slowly makes its way to the shoulder and stops. I radioed dispatch the info and the plates came back expired, so I walk up to the car. They driver is sweating like crazy so I know something is up. There's five Hispanic middle-aged males in the car so I pull the driver out and tell the rest to sit tight. Me and the driver walk over to the hood of my patrol car. I tell him his plates are out and whatnot, and he really starts shaking. I asked him what's up, and he tells me the guys in the back are loading a shotgun and are going to shoot me when I go to pull them out of the car. Almost losing my mind, I walk back to my car as casually as possible and radio for backup. Backup comes, we sit the driver in my patrol car. And we order the men in the back seat to get out with their hands up. They slowly agree. They're placed in arrest, and the car is searched. Sure enough, loaded sawn off under the back seat. I let the driver go, and the other guys go to jail, and I get to go home and see my kids for another night. My dad became a cop back in the early 70s in a small South Carolina town. One night he arrested a guy for something or other and it was found out that he had a few felony warrants out. My dad said the guy never struggled, fought, ran or anything and that all in all he was a decent enough guy that basically had the you got me attitude about the whole thing. For some reason my dad had to take the guy to the hospital before B was locked up and he was sitting up on a gurney with his hands cuffed behind his back just chit chatting away about stuff. The guy asked my dad if he had any kids and he replied that he had one boy, me about three to five years old or so, but he wanted another. That's when the guy dropped a bombshell, he said good because as soon as I get out of prison I'm going to hunt down your children, cut their abdomens open and F their guts. Without thinking. My dad said he backhanded the guy with a black jack in the face as hard as he could. He said the guy flew off the gurney backwards onto some chairs and he heard a bone breaking crunch. The guy was out cold for a while and when he woke up, he started screaming about suing and how his rights had been violated. A few days later when the state police came to investigate, the witnesses, to a person, said that the guy fell off of the gurney and that's how he ended up getting hurt. I never did get split open and got raped. Grandmother was a cop in Santa Maria in the late 70s till early 90s. Man calls in saying there is a 7 feet gray man at his door. She goes to check it out, door is jammed. The man is screaming and she hears a loud buzzard. She slams the door open and the buzz is gone and so is the man. There's blood everywhere. She calls for backup and runs around and calls his name. She hears what sounds like, someone yelling but someone is covering their mouth. She finds him tied up, piss everywhere. Investigators say that he was in that room for ATL least four hours. Man lives alone in the middle of nowhere. Says he called the police a five hours ago. Said that a cop was on their way. He reported seeing a seven feet gray man with big eyes who did that to him. No footprints, no trace of any kind of invasion. My grandmother lost four hours somehow. The guy ended up killing himself a few years later leaving a note behind, warning my grandmother that they are after him, and thanking her for rescuing him. Crazy. Police officer here. One evening about eight years ago it was pouring outside and we got a call from an elderly woman, seems to be a common theme in this thread. She called in and said that she was hearing footsteps in her house and she thought there was a ghost inside because she regularly heard the sound of someone walking upstairs but she lived alone. We went just to check it out and make sure that everything was okay. She stayed on the line with the 911 operator because she was frightened. About three minutes after she initially called in, she said that there was actually a man standing outside in her backyard, staring at her through her sliding glass door. Petrified, The woman froze in that spot and continued to stare directly the man. For the next minute or two she said that he was just standing there, still as could be, staring at her. Eventually the man slunk off out, of sight. When we arrived, about 12 minutes after the call first came in, we went to the front door. I remained in the foyer with the woman and the other officer went to the backyard to see if the man was still hiding out or if there were any traces of him. I spoke with her for several minutes until the other officer returned. He said there was no trace of anyone having been in the backyard. We set off to do a quick sweep before we left to make sure the house was all clear. In her living room, the room that has the sliding glass door, we discovered a trail of mud and footprints inside the house. I asked the woman if she had been outside at all that day or if anyone had been over to visit her. She said no, that she lived alone, and that no one had come by to visit. The woman was very old, probably around 85, and had very poor eyesight and was hard of hearing, as elderly people tend to be. The woman obviously had seen the man's reflection and mistakenly thought he was in front of her, on the other side of the glass, in her backyard. In reality, he had been standing only a few feet behind her in the same room while she had been talking to 911. Nothing was stolen, broken, or out of place so we don't know what his intentions were. Who knows what would have happened had she not stayed on the line with the operator. I know it sounds like something out of a campfire story, but it was honestly one of the most unnerving and creepy experiences I have had while on duty. Florida police officer here. I had an older lady call that she was trapped in her house. When I arrived I observed a white powder poured out in a half-circle in front of her door. I knocked. She spoke through a nearby window. She explained that a voodoo priest had put a hex on her and trapped her in the house. She claimed that if she crossed over the powder, her back would break. I told her to sit on her couch and wait, I would be back soon. I went to a store where I knew the clerk. I borrowed a bucket and broom. Returning to the lady's house. I filled the bucket from a garden hose. While saying the Lord's Prayer loud enough for her to hear inside, swept and rinsed the powder away. I then told her it was safe. She opened the door and asked what I had done. I told her I had gone to a church for holy water and had a priest bless the broom. She was so happy, she hugged me for a long time. I got the name and location of the voodoo priest from her. I was able to find him later in my shift. I got in his face and told him if he bothered that lady again I'd kick his ass and take him to jail. We will not allow harassment, scamming or preying on the elderly. (laughs) I was on field training when we, my FTO and I, got a call for a welfare check on an elderly lady. Her son and daughter-in-law were at the house and hadn't spoken to her in a few weeks. Mail hadn't been removed from the mailbox lawn was growing over, all signs pointed to house being either empty or the lady being deceased. We exhaust all options, try to look through any windows we can, all were covered with shutters, and finally get cleared to force entry. As I'm new guy, I'm first one through the door, which we had a hell of a time getting through because random stuff was piled against it. I'm entering through a sort of laundry slash entry room and moving into the kitchen. There's no main lights on in the house, Just one lamp, very dark and creepy, it's about 2 PM as well. AC isn't running and it's October, which while not hot, still is warm. No smell of decay so far, but no sounds coming from anywhere. We move into the living room and I turn to go down a dark hallway when I hear a loud noise. Damn if there's not wind chimes hanging at the end of the hallway, dangling in the darkness where I couldn't see them. Scared me, but not as much as what was about to happen. We had our weapons at the low ready, as we weren't sure what situation we were walking into, we were also calling the woman's name out during this but got no response. As I reached the end of the hallway, it branched to the left and right. I checked left real quick, saw a closed door and turned to my right where there was an open door to a bedroom where I could see a bed. All of a sudden a body sits straight up in the bed and looks in my direction. What made it better was this person appeared to be wearing a wig, large sunglasses, and didn't say a damn word. I started shouting at her to put her hands up but my FTO pushed me aside and moved into the room. She was okay, got taken by ambulance to the hospital to get checked out as a precaution. FTO laughed his ass off. Good times. I have only been a police officer for two years now. I would not say that I am a firm believer in ghosts but I have no explanation for what happened on this night. This wasn't a call I was responding to but I was just driving around and observed a vehicle parked alone in the middle of a church parking lot. This was at night so I figured maybe some kids were doing whatever kids do right? So I pull up on the car from the side and see that no one is inside the vehicle. I then position my car behind it so I can run the plate. Maybe someone stole it and dumped it in the parking lot. So I start to run the plate and I look at the car through the back window and I kid you not there was a person in the front seat looking at me through the rear view mirror. This is something you notice as a cop because when you do traffic stops you can tell how intently someone is really watching you inside your car and possibly if they are going to try something. So I get an oh moment of I didn't see there were people inside the car and drive up directly next to it to reassure what I saw. And there was no one inside the car. Chills immediately ran down my back and I noped out of there. The car was later gone don't know what happened. Don't exactly know what I saw. But I was pretty freaked out. Me and my partners used to sit at that church on quiet nights because it is tucked away and you can just relax. I have not sat there since. My friend was working in the jail at the time helping process people coming in. He worked this room where they would check people for weapons or drugs before booking them. About 10 PM a guy in his 30s gets brought in. He looks like he hasn't showered in a week, smells and has nothing on but a black trench coat. They lead him into the room and have him stand on this line. He puts his hands on these yellow circles on the wall so they can pat him down. Quick pat down happens. Obviously it doesn't reveal anything because Hess got nothing on. They ask him if he has anything on his person they should know about. He turns around, looks right at the officer who patted him down and says maybe. The guy reaches behind to his ass and looks like Hess playing with his butthole or something. After about 10 seconds and some strange facial expressions, he then pulls out this big black 12 inch dildo from his ass. It's covered in crap, He kinda extends it out and waves it in the cop's face and says it's a little dirty then giggles. The cop vomits from the smell and someone else has to come and finish booking. My friend got to watch the whole thing from behind safety glass. No smells or anything. I was a uniformed member for three years and a detective for another three years before I quit the police. Saw many things that I could have done without but one in particular was while doing normal response to 10,111, our equivalent to 911, as a uniformed member. A friend who worked on my shift happened upon a couple of thieves at a railway line who had managed to stop a passing train and then proceeded to steal cargo from one of the carts, beer, to be exact. He started chasing them and as he caught one the guy turned around and stabbed him between the shoulder and neck downwards, causing him to bleed out and he died on his way to the hospital. He managed to draw and shoot the suspect dead as well what bothered me most about this apart from the fact that a friend and colleague lost his life was that we always worked together on the same vehicle but on this particular day we were performing special duties and was placed in particular vehicles by the commander i heard his distress call on the radio and i was about five minutes away but by the time i got there i only found the dead suspect and was told that he had been rushed to hospital and another 5 minutes later I got the call that he had passed away. As a side note to this, on that very same day I got the news that I was going to be a dad, and I couldn't wait to see him to tell him the good news. Sadly I never got the chance. I was dispatched on a gunshot. The 65 year old mother reported her son had just shot himself. She was refusing to provide CPR or go see if he was okay. I was only a couple blocks away. My best friend and I arrived simultaneously and contacted the complainant at the back door. She was in a thin nightgown and completely calm. She said, he's down there, pointing downstairs. As we made our way down I noticed a haze in the air, thick enough that it was forming waves in the air. I didn't take immediate conscious notice of it but both my partner and I commented on a strong smell in the air. Although I knew what it was, I immediately commented that it must be gunpowder, somehow making the connection with the call description of a gunshot. As we got to the bottom of the stairs, I stopped at the sound of horrible moaning coming from a back bedroom. I made eye contact with Adam. You ready? He nodded and we moved in slowly. The bedroom was tucked off a small hallway which intersected with the main downstairs hallway. I saw the blood before entering. Three walls of the room were covered in goo. I still couldn't see the victim, but I could hear him. I saw a rifle laying on the bed, laying in a literal puddle of blood. I forced myself to take a few more steps through the door. Training takes over, and for some reason I was remembering the adage, don't stop in the fatal funnel. As I came through the door I saw him to my left. He was down on all fours, rocking back and forth. The first detail I noticed was his very red shirt. My mind thought it was weird. He was wearing such a very red shirt. I noticed the bottom hem of the shirt was white. It was just a normal white t-shirt, buddy. We've got help coming. Just stay there. I'm not sure what you're supposed to say. He raised his face to me. It was completely cut in half. The skin flaps waving back and forth. He had stuck a rifle under his chin. And when he stretched to reach the trigger, his head tipped back. The bullet entered the soft jaw, crossing the hard palate and left right at the top of his nose. There was nothing left but cheeks. I'll never forget the moaning. I knew it was not funny, but my mind triggered on some sort of zombie and predator fanfic. On all fours he kept rocking back and forth, shaking his head back and forth and just moaning. The sound is still with me. As he shook his head, the two flaps of cheek kept swinging back and forth, opening and closing, just like the predator. I swear, if that guy had stood up and walked towards me, I would have shot him. The first few medics arrived. They had been told by dispatch that the subject was Echo, obviously deceased, and hesitated until I pointed out that they needed to get on this one, and get on it now. They started to cut off his red shirt. I told dispatch to get the bird going now. She said, you want them on standby? She was trying to help me as really only medics are supposed to tell the air medics to fly. No, tell them to fly now, this one's going. My sergeant was the third to arrive. When he got downstairs he yelled at me, what's that smell? Gunpowder, Sarge. Nah. that's not gunpowder. He breathed a few deep nasal breaths. That's like propane or something. The medic stopped and inhaled. We all go silent for the first time, and we all hear at the same time what had been covered up by horrible moaning. In the wall, behind where the man shot himself, there was a bullet hole. Out of the hole was coming a hissing sound. The bullet had cut through the natural gas main that fed the house from the oustied meter. For the first time in my career I saw firefighters panic. Get out get out get out three of them yelling at the same time. I got on the radio and called no flames and told everyone to clear. I saw for the first time what the waves of haze I had noticed earlier were. It was natural gas which had filled up the bottom floor of the house, filled it up so much that the top of the gas lake was over my eyes, at about six feet deep. The medics grabbed the guy and ran upstairs. I quickly cleared the downstairs, thinking the guy might have small kids in the rooms or something. They were clear. I came upstairs and found Adam sitting calmly in the sitting room with the victim's mother. I stopped, unable to understand what he was doing still in the house. Adam, get them out of here. I wasn't yelling yet, but it made me mad. I had stayed behind for two minutes in a situation that was probably going to kill me, and he had stayed in the house talking with mom? He looked at me, confused. Adam, get them the out of this house, I was yelling now. The mother stood up, saying she needed shoes. I grabbed her, probably too hard on the arm, she was old. I pushed her through the door. Get out and do it now. I could feel myself losing a bit of control. I've never, never lost control. Adam didn't understand. He had turned his radio down so he could sit with the mom and not have her hear the terrible details that would likely be on the radio. He didn't hear me give out the evacuate order. He still didn't understand, but he trusted me implicitly. He stepped between me and the mom, who was still trying to get inside. He did what had to be done, but he did it gently at least. I couldn't manage that. I went back in with some hazmat guys 10 minutes later. The horror of the room was more noticeable this time. I saw that little bone and teeth chips were stuck in the soles of my boot. I saw that huge globs of human goo were dripping down the walls. I got to the clean wall, the only wall without goo all over it. It was the wall he had faced when he pulled the trigger. I looked down and saw his chin, laying on the carpet at my feet. Dispatch, check with the hospital, see if they want this tissue. I couldn't believe I was even asking. The dude was going to die, I knew it, everyone knew it, right? That's a firm, they want it delivered. Copy. How, the, F, my sergeant, one of my best friends, offered to do it? Nah sarge, I'll get it. I knew I was already gonna feel this one, no need for anyone else to have this memory. I grabbed a bio sack from one of the firefighters and went upstairs to the freezer. I put a layer of ice inside and went back to the chin. You know how sometimes it's the false expectations that get you? I went to pick up the chin. For some reason, I knew it would be hard, like chins are. When I grabbed it, though, it felt like unset jello. Of course, it did, there was no bone there, it was literally just the chin. It had fallen gooey side down, and stuck to the carpet fibers as it dried over the previous 30 or so minutes. I had to tug at it pretty good, and it finally pulled off, landing in my palm gooey side up. I could see where his whiskers poked out, from the inside. Whoever thought that there was another end to each of our chin whiskers. I gave the bad to a firefighter to run it to the hospital. It didn't matter, I knew he was dead. or going to be soon enough. I learned later that he was 45 years old. At age 35 he got a degenerative brain disease, Huntington's or something. It took him pretty quick leaving him with the reasoning skills of an eight-year-old. His mother begged us on the front grass, after I probably bruised her arm, just to let him die. Where's the DNR? I asked. There wasn't one. He died two hours after shooting himself. They pumped blood bag after blood bag into him, but it all just came out as massive facial wounds. The me called me, asked, so, that was a weird one huh? Me's. What you need man? I asked him. You notice anything strange in there? He asked. Nope. Just another F suicide. Yeah, figured. All right, see you on the next one, he said. (laughs) I have a family member who works in narcotics in the California desert. He told me this story about the ghost car. So he was chasing someone on a major highway. Not saying which one but it's probably not hard to figure out, lights and sirens and everything. The guy turns off his lights, swerves into the desert and just disappears. He called out for another car to help him find the missing car. The tracks lead into the desert for a short while then the tracks suddenly disappeared. They had a few officers poking around the area but nothing ever came of it. Never found the car. Strangely enough this isn't the first time or the last time this has happened. Ghost cars are apparently pretty common among the Mexican drug gangs. They've theorized that there's some kind of hidden underground drug lair out there somewhere, but nobody's ever found anything. As a cop, we tend to see the worst in people. As a cop in a large metropolitan area, L.A., we tend to see a lot more than the average officer. I'll share some of the stories that haunt us and I share my own as well as fellow officers in an attempt to maintain my anonymity. I should probably warn you that you don't want to read this. But then you click the link so you should know better right? I'll tell the stories in first person. The call unit to handle, meet the fire department at, address, for an attempt suicide. Subject is a female. FD waiting for PD to respond. Code 2. Unit to respond identify. We get there and ensure the location is safe for FD to enter and give them the green light to help the female out. The attempt wasn't the gruesome part. Not even close to some of the worst scenes I've been to. But the story. Asking why she did it and the look on her face when she was revealing her nightmare is an event I don't care to think about or dwell on. As a teenager growing up she had an older brother who decided the gang life was for him. And no matter what he did their parents always had his back. Aside from the violence and the terrorizing of the community he decided one day he wanted his sister. Her attempts to stop him were futile and in a state of shock she told her mother what had happened. As if that wasn't bad enough her mother told her to shut up and not say anything and told her she must be making stuff up. This wasn't enough for her to ponder suicide. Instead she went to the police. Her mother disowned her and kicked her out for sending her brother to prison. This wasn't enough for her to ponder suicide. Years later she has managed to make something of herself and somehow get over the horror show that had been her life so far. She meets an incredible young man who thinks the world of her and she sees light at the end of this dark tunnel. That is until they find out he has terminal cancer. At this point she wonders what she's done to anger God so much that she is punished this bad and she says she gives up. I don't have anything on my belt that will make a difference. Handle the call, log it, and clear for the next call. The night's not over. The call. Not a call, but what we like to call, an OBS. OBS short for observation meaning instead of a radio call generated by someone calling 911 this is an activity generated by the officer's observations. Driving around looking for work and I'm running plates on random cars when one of them returns with a hit stolen vehicle. Boom baby. Control show me following a code 37 vehicle, northbound ABC street, vehicle license. Let me get a backup and airship. We start following, the adrenaline is kicked into high gear, and we wonder if he'll keep driving normal until backup arrives or if he'll spook and turn this into a pursuit. And there he goes blowing the red light. Pursuit. Throw the lights and sirens on and we are off. Backup catches up to us and we're following this guy all over the place when it happens. He blows through an intersection and hits a car and there is debris everywhere. A bunch of units go straight to the suspect's vehicle and as I was about to head over I see the other car. There's a family inside and a hole through the passenger side of the front windshield. I start heading towards the front of the car and I see it. I see her. She's been launched several car lengths away and she's against the curb running to her i see she's in bad shape as i kneel down next to her i look down and hear her gasp and that's it she takes her last breath suddenly the excitement of the chase isn't so exciting the call any unit to handle the unknown trouble at address code three incident unit to handle identify unknown troubles can quickly turn into cluster mess someone has called nine one one But they aren't able to tell the dispatcher enough information or the call is interrupted and the line goes dead. So we're going in blind not knowing what's happened or who's involved. We get there and it's a rather large house. Simultaneously we see fire department pulling up as well. I yell over to them mentioning, you guys got a call here too huh? You guys got any info? We don't have anything. Fire tells us all they were told was a medical or panic alarm was activated. As we go up the driveway a lady comes out of a door and runs to us in tears and as she's pointing frantically behind her she gasps, back there. He's back there. I try to ask her what's going on and who is back in her house, but she's hysterical and runs past us. We start jogging to the back of the residence with our guns drawn expecting. I don't know. Fire is right behind us and as we get to the back we see there is a pool and we're looking around and then we see him. He's in the pool. Fire takes a look and I ask, you guys gonna get him? The response, F that. He's a goner. He's dead. Taking a look at him he looks like he's been in there a while and taking him out wouldn't change anything. Not to mention he's tied himself to weights. Turns out it's a suicide and he'd left a note. We take a look and after reading the note and talking to the man's wife we learn why he'd killed himself. The man was a successful professional and had been doing very well for himself and his family. He took great pride in what he did and he relied on his sharp intellect to be successful. Unfortunately a clot formed in his brain and after going to the hospital to be treated he was never the same. Tasks took longer and everything became more difficult. He stopped working and stayed home, but having been so independent before it was killing him to have people helping him so he decided he'd help his wife out one last time. On her birthday he freed her from having to take care of him. In his mind it was a gift he was giving her. She cried and I told her it wasn't her fault. She told me he'd woken her that morning and told her happy birthday. But she was so tired she told him, just a few minutes. I'm just so tired. He told her not to worry and to go to bed. That was the last they talked. All right well I'm gonna go have a beer and try to pretend I didn't relive some of those memories now. During my time as a school resource officer, I was teaching a class on the rights and responsibilities of citizens when dealing with the police to a mixed class of 7th and 8th graders. The kids were super engaged and loving it. One kid, who has major issues, mainly because his father was a boutique doctor and had him on hormone therapy to increase his height, raised his hand and asked what would happen if you were playing with a friend and tied them up, but not let them go for a long time. And what if you liked watching them cry? And what if you tied up a stranger and watched them cry? These questions all happened in less than a few seconds, and the creepy part was not so much the questions, but how how he was asking them. He was clearly relating a sexual fantasy and loved talking about it. There was lust in his voice, and the kid who was normally shy and lacked enthusiasm for pretty much everything was using his body to ask the questions, he became very animated. I immediately felt a gross feeling in my stomach and I caught a glimpse of the teacher who was also looking grossed out. Out of all the gross stuff I have encountered while on patrol, it was a question my an 8th grader that still creates a grossed out feeling every time I think about it. I would much rather do a welfare check at a house with too many flies on the windows than deal with that kid again. We responded to a traffic crash in which four people were in a sedan. All were intoxicated. The vehicle swerved off the road hitting a culvert and left the occupants injured to the point that they could not exit the vehicle. The driver exited and walked to the roadway to get help. The car caught fire and the passengers still inside were too drunk to know what was happening to get out in time. By the time we arrived on scene no one was able to get within about 40 yards of the car because of the heat. We were unable to get to the car, despite trying several times. I have seen fatalities before and they are sad. But you learn to deal with it and move along. But these people were screaming for help, and no one could get even close to the car. By the time the fire department showed up, the coroner was pulling up also. It is the worst feeling to see someone go like that, and not even be able to try to help. Secondly, we responded to a traffic crash with a pedestrian on the highway. When we arrived it was clear that this woman had committed suicide, by kneeling down in the road and taking the full brunt of the next car that came down the road. Her husband arrived on scene a few moments after we did. He explained that she had been drinking and they got into a fight. She left the hotel room they were staying in and walked to the highway a couple hundred yards from the hotel. I don't know what his last words to her were, but they were not nice. I will never leave a dispute unresolved with my so now and I always make sure I leave her with kind words. I know a cop who once got a call, boyfriend was a drunk driver, he crashed into a cement barricade and the girl flew through the window, he was first on scene and he knew she wasn't going to make it. She kept asking him please don't let me die, please don't let me die. Over and over again, it changed him forever. He made it his personal mission to distribute drunk driving in our town. He never let anybody off and usually used his power to impound their vehicle, remove their license etc. His wife says he got really depressed at first then he seemed to just get mad. The entire experience really messed with his head, he changed entirely, and honestly I don't blame him. My cousin was an RCMP officer, he got called to a domestic disturbance, the guy came out of the house brandishing a knife. He told him to stop multiple times, then he shot him, the knife was a rubber stage prop, he spent months in therapy and then got relocated to a quiet little town with a low crime rate. People think all cops are just cold and menacing but they're human beings just like everybody else, just with double the psychological issues from the stuff they've seen and had to do. It changes you, no wonder so many soliders become alcoholics or addicts. This one is NSFW. I have two stories that come to mind that my dad told me. 30 years ago or so he and some other officers went to a flat with reports of a funny smell. Inside they found a man dead on the floor who had been there enough time to smell but not look too decomposed. So they decided to move him out the flat. But when they grabbed him to move him, I guess that's just how it was done back then, his arms and legs came off and hundreds of maggots came out and went all over the place. They ended up having to cut the carpet around him to carry him out. The second story involves a man who escaped from a mental institute somewhere in England. He was in there for being a murderer who had an obsession with killing people with the title doctor. So this man traveled north to Scotland where he found an old, retired doctor and his wife and killed them both. He broke into their house, axed the man through his head while he was sitting in his armchair, and then beat his wife to death with pots and pans in her chair. This is from a friend who used to work as a security guard. My friend is a night person so he's used to night shifts. Well, anyways, one night he's working to guard a mansion and at 2.22 a door access alarm goes off from the gym room. By usual protocol, he calls 911 and his cops deal with it. The cops, two of them, meets with my friend and heads to the gym room. A short while later, the cop starts yelling at my friend how prank calls is a serious offense and he shouldn't waste their time. My friend flabbergasted by the cop's reaction, he asks what's wrong and one of the cops says that an old lady told them that she was in the house for a long time. My friend not understanding what lady they're talking about since there's no one in that mansion. The owners left on a cruise for a month or so, They stop to stare at each other in silence and heads inside the mansion. My friend swears to me it's true. They go inside and right at the entry hall, you can see the painting of the old lady. The cops turns white and leaves. My friend confused by what happened just nopes out of there the moment he finished his shift. Apparently, that was the painting of the current owner's great grandmother. I was doing security at a hospital with a ER, ICU, surgical, the whole works and I got called to several paranormal calls. Most, were sight cases or paranoid people that heard a strange noise. This time more than one nurse saw a guy on the camera who was on his death's bed, a guy who kept saying I will not die in a hospital earlier that day, literally push his curtain aside and walk out of his room toward the elevator. A code was called and everyone immediately posted at their designated locations. Within seconds there were people watching the elevators and stairs and security started combing the area and investigating. As I reached the ICU floor I spoke with the lead nurse and she told me several of the nurses saw him leave. At that moment monitors started going off, the guy never left, the guy went code blue and died right then. There were three witnesses on the report that say he got up and left and were serious enough to call a code which could cost them their jobs if they were wrong. The bosses wouldn't let us watch the video but the looks on their faces said it all. The bosses said the nurses did the right thing and some things just can't be explained. The portion of the video I was allowed to see did show that nobody had left via elevator or stairs. I'm not a cop, but my story is somewhat relevant. I recently started working as a security guard and one of my first assignments was the graveyard shift at a new housing development outside of town. Over the course of the three nights I worked there, I had some pretty bizarre things happen. While doing my patrols through the neighborhood, I would often see people watching me from the upper windows of the vacant houses, but when I would enter the house to investigate, they would be empty. One of the first things on my to-do list when I arrived on site was to go through the eight model homes next to the real estate office and turn off all the lights and TVs. The first night, this part went smoothly, but the following night, as I was making my way through the kitchen of the fourth house, I heard the light switch click and all the lights in the kitchen went out. It wasn't a power surge or a blown breaker, as all the appliances were still on and all the little green lights underneath the light switches were still lit. A few minutes later, I heard another click and the lights came back on, followed by the lights in the next house going out, but the TV remaining on. By the time I made my way to the next house, the lights were back on, but the TV was in standby, only possible by hitting the button on the front. As I was finishing up in the last house, I looked out the window and saw that the second and third houses were lit up again. The third night, the light situation got weirder. The lights would either turn off or on in a room as I entered and in one house, as I entered the kitchen, the hood light over the stove turned on. As I turned to look at it, I heard a series of clicks coming from the second floor, as if someone were running through the house turning on the lights. When I went up there, sure enough, many of the lights I had turned off were back on. In another house, a desk lamp turned itself back on three times another lamp in the same house that had a dimmer slowly started lighting up right in front of me. Now, for the worst events, as I was walking past one of the construction sites, I saw what appeared to be a skunk walk behind the porta potty. When it walked back out, however, it looked more like a black shih tzu. It proceeded to change size, shape, and color several more times right in front of me, Doberman, Bloodhound, Tan Mastiff, then finally a yellow lab, before running off into the dark. I'm willing to concede all of these can either be chalked up to my mind slash eyes playing tricks or a timer gone haywire, I was assured there wasn't one, but this last one defies logical explanation. As I was walking back to the office around 2.30, I glanced up at one of the houses. As I did, something hit me in between my left peck and shoulder. Hard. Hard enough to stagger me. I weigh 250 pounds, so I'm not exactly little. It felt as if someone were walking the opposite direction on the sidewalk and shoved their way past me. I have since asked my supervisors not to assign me to that site again. I worked security for five years and became good friends with the operations manager before he was fired and replaced with Hellspawn. He told me where he worked before and had a messed up story. He was working at an industrial building doing security overnight. He walked around once an hour and checked all the doors. On his third patrol, he went to a different part of the building and found one of the office doors was still open. He opened it only to find a man who hanged himself and was apparently still warm. He called 911 and they came and took care of everything. The building manager sent my boss home for five days, paid, but eventually he did return and things seemed to be back to normal. About a month later he was on patrol when he went into the building to do his checks. This time however, he found the same door to be unlocked again. He didn't open it. He ran to his car and drove away, ended up succumbing to alcoholism for a while before cleaning up and running a new security company. I'm glad I had never experienced that. I worked the other side of the radio. I could have done without the major vehicle accident with fire that we went to a few years back. Driver was on the ground in flames, trying to crawl back into the burning vehicle, screaming for help. His baby girl was deceased in the back seat, still strapped into her car seat. That fire was burning so hot, that baby was nothing but bones by the time the fire was extinguished driver was flown to the hospital with third-degree burns over a large part of his body, and ended up living. It would have been kinder to him if he died on the way to the hospital. I could have done without hearing a man shoot himself while still on the phone with me. I could have done without walking a hysterical father through CPR on his 18-month-old son who he claimed he'd found drowned in the tub. In fact, he'd beaten the kid to death. I could have done without the suicide call where the 16-year-old female hung herself from a trellis arch with an extension cord. Her little hands were still clutching the sides of the arch, and the dusty table behind her was covered in scuffs, and streaked footprints where she tried to pull herself back up after jumping and almost, almost made it. It's emotionally draining. Most first responders either get numb, get cynical, or get deeply warped senses of humor. I fall into that third category. It's incredibly difficult to make a career as a first responder. If you don't learn to laugh, you have to learn how to take the call and move on. Been doing this for five years and sometimes it feels like forever. I was secondary on a call for a domestic dispute. Those are never fun to begin with. It was a single wide trailer home in a really bad part of town. We had been to this house many times. They were on our punch card loyalty program. That is a joke. We get there and the woman is beat to hell so we figured it was no question who was going to jail. So we hook the guy up and call social services for the infant that was sleeping the bedroom because mom was heading to the hospital. Social services shows up to get the kid after a little while. I go to the bedroom to get the baby and notice blisters on his feet. One of the other deputies saw this as well and flipped out. He was a new father and lost his mind. He runs out of the house and grabs the father by the neck and jerks his ass out of the car. The father starts crying and says it was the kid's mother who did it. She admits to it later at the hospital. She says the baby would not stop crying so she put his feet in boiling water. Still to this day do not know why that would register as a solution to crying. The baby had traces of meth in his system though things involving innocent kids always got to me. On a positive note, this kids is in third grade now and is doing great. He was placed with a good foster family and was adopted before he was two. He really has a shot at a future. His mother is in prison for an unrelated crime and his father was killed in what looked like a drug deal gone bad a few years ago.